Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Morning, church. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke, and I get to serve here as one of the ministers at PCC. And I don't say this often enough, but before we jump in today, I just want to tell you, I love you. Uh, I love you guys. Man, what a joy it is for our family to get to be a part of this family. And just getting to serve alongside you is the greatest honor of my life. I love you guys. Love you, love you. Love being a part of this church. And uh, I have a confession that I want to make to you today as we jump in. And I just told you that I loved you, okay? So I'm trusting you, okay? Um, This is a confession. This is something I have never, ever told you before. Are you ready? Here's my confession. I was homeschooled. There it is, okay? We got it out on the table right now. Now, here's the thing. When you tell somebody that for the very first time, you always want their reaction to be, oh, really? Rather than like, oh, I get it. Totally makes sense now, right? I was homeschooled. Just get it out on the table. Now, my parents are getting a little bit older to to that point in life now where they're talking with us six kids about like end-of-life type things, taking care of them, estate stuff, that whole thing. And I've told my parents this before. I've said, now, listen, since I didn't get to go to a real school, you're not going to get to go to a real nursing home. This is how this is going to go. Told them I'm just going to frame them for a crime and I'm going to let the government take care of it. That's, that's my plan right now. Uh, but I was homeschooled for the first six years. And then in sixth grade, my mom had another baby. And so there's just too much going on in the house. Luke got kicked out of homeschool and I got sent to public school where I finished my education, graduated from Webb City High School there. But I can remember in sixth grade right there in the cafeteria of Webb City Middle School. Tell me if you remember this feeling. I was there in the lunch line and I had my tray going through the line and I got my chocolate milk and my rock hard mashed potatoes and my mystery meat, you know, the drown and ranch dressing. And I got to the end of the line and you go out into the cafeteria there at the middle school and there's just this ocean of tables. And I remember little chubby sixth grade, fresh out of homeschooling Luke, looking around at all these tables and thinking, where am I going to sit? Where do I belong? Where, where am I welcome? Where, who's who's going to see me and notice me and want to be with me? Where do I sit? You guys remember this feeling? It's daunting. It's almost overwhelming, isn't it? And then something happened. Then Brian Gibson saw me. Now, uh, Brian Gibson, he was cool. He was a basketball player. I was definitely not a basketball player. He was the first chair trumpet in band, you know, million-dollar smile. And Brian Gibson let me sit at his table right next to him. And I can remember, man, to an outsider looking in, it looked like he just made 18 inches of space on a plastic bench in the cafeteria of Webb City Middle School. But to me, that was so much more than just 18 inches of space on a plastic bench. All of a sudden, I knew right there, I have a place. I'm wanted. Somebody sees me. I belong. We all want to belong, don't we? We're starting a new series today. For the next few weeks, we're just going to be talking about belonging. Because the world wants to actually tell you a story about belonging. Here's the story the world is going to tell you. You are your own, and you belong to yourself. 
That's the story the world is going to tell you. Now, with any worldview story, we have to run it through a filter. Every worldview has to be able to answer four basic questions. The questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, okay? Let's just run this worldview story through that filter. Let's start right here with the question of origin. Where did we come from? Well, this story, you are your own, you belong to yourself, it doesn't really answer the question of origin. We don't really know where we came from, but since you are your own... You can just kind of make up your own origin story, right? Okay, so what about the question of meaning? Well, since this story can't tell us where we come from, it can't really tell us what all of this means either. But since you are your own and you belong to yourself, you get to kind of decide your own meaning and your own purpose. You get to forge your own identity in life as a grandparent or a successful salesperson or a really like a fitness guru or, or forge your own identity, whatever you want to be, and then just live out your truth and be true to yourself. Make your life significant in whatever way feels right to you. Question number three, what about the question of morality? How do we tell what is right and wrong? Well, if you are your own and you belong to yourself, then there's not really an objective standard for morality. So pick whatever standard you want since you are your own. You can do what's best for the group. You can do what feels good to you. You can do whatever is best for you. Really, the only thing that's wrong is since you are your own and you belong to yourself, not being true to yourself would be what is wrong or hindering somebody else from being true to themselves. That's what's morality. What about question number four? What about the question of destiny? Where is all of this headed? Well, again, we, we don't know. If we don't know where we come from and what it all means and what's right and wrong, we don't really know where we're all headed. But since you're your own and you belong to yourself, do whatever makes you feel like a good person, whatever you feel like you should be working toward. Go plant some trees, go volunteer, go raise successful kids or give some money away and uh, you know, go chase your bucket list and do all of that. Just try to make the world a better place while you're here. Again, I'm not trying to sound sarcastic or cynical or flippant or condescending. I do just think it's critically important that we understand the world that we're living in, where we're raising our kids and our grandkids in. Maybe you've heard the old joke before. It's not a great joke, but uh, that one fish swims up to the other fish and he says, morning, how's the water? And the fish says, what's water? <laughs> and, and it's important that we know the water that we're swimming in together. Uh, there's a recent study that showed that 91% of Americans believe, with this, believe this statement right here, that the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself. 91% of Americans said, yes, that is true. Now, it's not shocking that most people believe that is true. That's kind of the storyline of every Disney movie ever, right? <laughs> yeah, like follow your heart, chase your dreams, be true to you. You are your own, you belong to yourself, look within. And I've heard actually one author who described this story directionally in a way that was really helpful for me. He says that the world is going to tell you, first of all, to look in. You've got you to find out what's in here. You've got to be true to yourself. Nobody else can tell you what is true for you. You've got to look in and you've got to say, who am I? And then after you look in, then you look around and you find a tribe of people who are going to affirm you in your self-chosen identity. And then after that, and only then, you look up and you can kind of get a hodgepodge spirituality to give your life some deeper meaning and purpose. Look in, then look around, and then look up. Now, this is actually not new. It's a tale as old as time. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Paul actually describes this kind of worldview, though, um, when he's writing a letter to his young friend named Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this. I'll read the white, you read the yellow. Paul says, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, 
To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, again, this is a tale as old as time. We don't have to, you know, make it more dramatic than it is. And yet, if you're paying attention to what we see all around us, this is, of course, happening, isn't it? Doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum today, economically or socially or politically, the story is the same. The world says you are your own and you belong to yourself. And if that is true, that you are your own and you belong to yourself, and you have to look in, then what is in here, your desires are the most important thing about you. In fact, they'd say you are defined by your desires. Now, I know this is heavy, but hang with me here for just a second, okay? The storytellers of our society are going to tell you that the truest you is the inner you, the inner you of your feelings and your desires. That's why, let's just say, hypothetically, a celebrity were to do something dumb. Can you imagine that? Wow, amazing, right? Now, imagine when the celebrity goes on to make a public statement about what just happened, what do they often say? They'll say something like, oh, don't... Don't judge me by that. Don't judge me by my words. Don't judge me by my actions. That's not who I am. What's inside me is the real me. They'll say that you're defined by your desires. And this is why the temperature has really been turned up in our society. It's made it hard to have productive discussions about things because all of a sudden, the world's gonna tell you that your ideas, your opinions, your feelings, your desires, those define you. So when we want to have a discussion about an idea that we think is wrong, the other person says, no, 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 that defines me. You're attacking me. And so... Part of what we're going to do in here as the church is we have to learn to think like Christians. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we're going to, we're going to attack some issues in here. But as Christians, it's important that we learn to separate the idea from the person because we're going to attack some ideas really hard in here. But we're going to love those people really well in here too because we know we're not defined by our desires. And I don't know about you, but that reality that I'm not defined by my desires that's really good news for me because my desires are confusing and my desires change like every 10 minutes. Anybody else in here? Yeah, all right. Um, let's, let's illustrate this. Uh, go on a mental trip with me. In your mind, go to the cereal aisle at Walmart, okay? Are you there? You in the cereal aisle? Hang out there with me for a few minutes, okay? Let's say that I gave you two kinds of cereal to choose from. Now, in the Proctor house, there is always and ever only two kinds of cereal to choose from, Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Lucky Charms, right? Now, if I said pick one of those, by God's grace, I hope you'd pick the right one. We know 10 times out of 10, eight days out of the week, you gotta pick Cinnamon Toast Crunch, am I right? And all God's people said, eh, we're kinda mixed on that one, okay, all right. <laughs> Let's say that Luke is going to be benevolent and generous, though, and I'm not just going to give you two options. Now I'm going to expand your offerings. I'm going to give you 10 options of cereal to choose from. And you'd think, hey, great, cool. I get more choices. This is awesome. And yet, the decision just got harder, didn't it? You're going to spend a lot more time making that decision. And even as you eat your chosen cereal, there's going to be that nagging thought in the back of your mind. But what if I would have chosen the other one? Maybe it was actually better. Now... Go back with me to the cereal aisle at Walmart, right? Where there's 7,000 different kinds of cereal. 
And if you're like me, you're standing there and I grow into like full-blown deer in the headlights mode in the cereal aisle. I get paralysis by analysis. You know what I mean, right? Like, am I gonna go healthy? Am I gonna go sugary? How many vitamins and minerals are we talking? Am I going brand name, generic? Am I going family size, snack size, bite size, mega size, box size? Am I going for the bag? What's the picture like? What's the color? What's the font? Like, it's just overwhelming, isn't it? It's crippling. And we're just talking about cereal. And so when the world is speaking to a generation of young people, saying, you are your own, you belong to yourself, now go define yourself by your desires, be whoever you want to be. That story, to look in, then look around, and look up, it sounds freeing, but it's actually crippling. It sounds liberating, but it actually creates this constant moving target of endless comparison. It creates this treadmill where we're all forced to bear the weight of our own origin, meaning, morality, and destiny, and we're crippled by the existential pressure to write our own script, and we crumble under that pressure. And so that choice to define yourself by what is within you, it sounds freeing, but it actually leaves us crushed and burned out. It leaves us comparing ourselves to others whose lives look like they're better than we are, wishing we would have picked whatever they picked. It leaves us anxious and depressed and alone. And so to cope with that amount of existential pressure on our shoulders, we do a little bit of too much of this and a little too much of that. You can go read the statistics on your own, but people find all kinds of ways to cope with that, don't they? Some people drink, some people eat, some people binge watch episodes of Seinfeld. <laughs> some people work more and more, some work out more and more, some find a lover, some chase money, some self-harm, some get obsessed with politics and the news, some argue on Facebook, some watch porn, some get immersed in video games, some argue on Twitter, some endlessly scroll Instagram, some do whatever it takes to earn the approval of their friends. I won't bore you with the options and the numbers today, but it would be pastoral malpractice for me not to warn you out of love that this story that you are your own and you belong to yourself. It is a lie from the pits of hell that is meant to paralyze and destroy you. I mean, look around at our world. Look at the statistics. Go look it up about how depressed we are as a society, how, how anxious and isolated and alone we are. Look at the suicide rate in the LGBTQ community. I read recently that right here in our area, around a quarter of the population has some form of sex addiction that one in four women and one in seven men will experience violent abuse at the hands of their romantic partner. I read that the, right now, the overall life expectancy in America is going down for the first time in a very long time. Here we are in 2023. We have the world's best medical care. We have the world's best technology. We know more about health now than humanity has ever known. We have technology beyond our grandparents' wildest imaginations. We are safer than anybody has ever been safe. And yet the life expectancy in America is going down right now. And sociologists will tell you that the life expectancy is going down largely due to, they say, deaths of despair, drug overdoses and suicide. Our efforts to fix these problems are just putting Band-Aids on bullet holes because beneath the surface still lurks that destructive story. You are your own and you belong 
to yourself. Now, you didn't just come to church to hear bad news today, did you? And the good news, the gospel, the good news of King Jesus offers a strikingly different vision for life. Um, Back in the year 1563, so almost 500 years ago, some theological teachers in Germany got together to try to figure out how to help educate Jesus followers on the basics of the Christian faith. Back then, like, most people can't read, so how are we going to help people just learn the basics of a Christian worldview? How can we help them think like a Christian? And they decided to use this question and answer format. And this group of theologians, they were from Heidelberg University, so what they came up with is called the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, as they're writing the Heidelberg Catechism, what do you think the thing was that they started with? If they're wanting to give people the basics of the faith, what is the most foundational thing, thing number one they should teach? You could talk about, like, you'd think it'd be the, uh, the doctrine of the three persons of the Trinity or the creation of the universe or the nature of good and evil, right? Question number one of the Heidelberg Catechism says this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your only comfort in life and in death, that I am not my own, but belong with both body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a story about belonging. Not that you are your own and you belong to yourself, but 180 degrees from that. Your only comfort, your only comfort in life and in death is that you are not your own, but you belong to Jesus. Now, the folks at Heidelberg, they didn't just pull that idea out of thin air. They actually got it right off the pages of Scripture. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. We're going to come back to that verse every single week in this series. This is the verse that's our springboard for our discussions over the next few weeks. You are not your own. Now, right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's writing a letter to an ancient church, and he's writing a letter to answer a very specific question. So I want to give you the context of where this comes from. It's going to get awkward for a second, okay? The question that Paul is writing this to answer is, should Christian men visit prostitutes? Should Christian men visit prostitutes? Now, like sneak peek, the answer is no, right? Okay? But what's really interesting here is actually the reason Paul gives for why the answer is no. My guess is if I asked you, you could give a whole bunch of reasons why the answer should be no, like why Christian men should not visit prostitutes. We could say because it's violent, because it's coercive, because it's abusive, unsafe, unsanitary, unfaithful, it breaks a vow, it's bad for society. All of those things are true, but Paul doesn't actually say any of those things. He says, no, 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 this is about belonging. The world, remember, wants you to look in, look around, and look up, asking that question, who am I? But Paul is saying it's just the opposite. We have to start by looking up, then we look around, and then and only then do we look in, not asking who am I, but whose am I? He's saying that you're not defined by your desires, but by your designer, that you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Now, let's dive a little deeper here. There's two specific ways that Scripture says you belong to God. First of all, you belong to God through creation. 
In Psalm 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. You belong to God because God made you. God made everything. There's an old teacher by the name of J. Vernon McGee who says, This is God's universe and he does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. (laughs) Kind of like that. (laughs) You belong to God through creation. Second thing, though, Paul says is, Right here in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, you belong to God through redemption, that he bought you. It's like the old story of the little boy who made a handmade wooden boat, and he went to go sail the boat for the first time in the stream, but the wind started blowing. The boat got away from him. It went downstream, and he lost it, brokenhearted. But a few days later, he saw the boat in the window of the general store. Somebody had found it. He went home, got his piggy bank, brought all of his money, and he bought that boat. And on the way back, he said, now, little boat, you are twice mine. First I made you, and now I bought you. And we are twice gods. First he made us, and then he bought us. Paul says, you're not your own. You were bought with a price, and the price was the blood of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross to bring us into a relationship with God. You belong to God through creation and through redemption. Now, that's a radically different story than the story the world's telling, right? Not you are your own, you belong to yourself, but you belong to God. So... How does that story make you feel? There might be some good feelings with that story, but my guess is also, if you're totally honest and maybe in your weakest moments, that whole idea of you are not your own, it kind of chafes against this a little bit, doesn't it? Because we're Americans. We like freedom. We like independence. We like Rocky Balboa, you know? Like pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, don't we? Yeah. But before we reject this whole idea that we are not our own and that we actually belong to God, let's run it through our filter that we have to run every worldview through. How does this worldview answer the questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny? For starters, let's go to the question of origin. Well, from the very get-go, we find out that we are not our own that we actually do belong to God. The Bible kind of knocks us off our pedestal in the very first verse. It demotes us. The Bible does not say on the first page, in the beginning, you. It says, in the beginning, God. From the very first sentence, we realize the story's not about us. It's about him. So that's the question of origin. What about the question of meaning? Well, the good news is that if we didn't start the story and if the story's not about us, then we don't actually have to feel the pressure of determining our own meaning and purpose for our lives. We're not defined by our desires. Yeah, I have desires, so do you, but those desires don't actually define me. I like steak, but I don't identify as a carnivore, right? Rather, first, I look up to see who my creator says that I am, and then I look around to be strengthened by the faith of other people who share that same conviction. And then, and only then, do I look in, Paul says, so that I can take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. The question of meaning. What about the question, though, of morality, how we decide what is right and wrong? The world says to decide what's right and wrong, just follow your heart. God says something different, though. God says that actually your heart is deceitful. Above all things, it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? I need to get you a new one of those, God says. Don't follow that thing. Follow me. We don't have to feel the pressure of determining right and wrong, which is good because I can't even pick out cereal, much less the difference between eternal good and eternal evil, right? And so God's laws he gives us 
Help us determine what is right and wrong. Now, God's laws, they're not just arbitrary rules. They're all actually based on who he is. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, be holy because I am holy. And his laws, they run with the grain of the universe. They always lead to, to fullness and to flourishing and to joy and to peace. Jesus says, yeah, take my yoke upon you. It is a yoke, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the question of morality. So then what about the question of destiny? If it's true that you are not your own and that you belong to God, that's really good news for your destiny, for where you and I are headed. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So when you follow Jesus, when you go down into those waters of baptism and you come back out, God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And here's what he does. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you to remind you of your origin, that he made you. The Holy Spirit lives in you to remind you of your meaning, that you are his child. The Holy Spirit lives in you to remind you of morality, to convict you of what's wrong and to steer you toward what is right. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you to remind you of your destiny, to seal you, to mark you as safe and secure and heaven-bound so that you can eagerly wait for the day that Jesus returns. Now listen, I know that this story, that you are not your own, it kind of chafes up against our independence a little bit. And to be totally honest, there are moments, like maybe like this one, because this is a little bit of a heavier sermon, there's moments we want to come at the Bible, don't we, with a highlighter in one hand and scissors in the other, okay? And like last week, Easter, that's a highlighter week, right? Like I'm going to highlight those verses, yeah, Jesus is alive, Jesus loves me, I get peace, I'm going to heaven, highlight all that, right? And, and then weeks like this, it's like, I need some scissors, I, I don't like that part as much. And yet... Um, this series is called You Are Not Your Own, but the subtitle says The Freedom and Beauty of Belonging to God because there is a beauty here that I want you to see. I don't want you to miss it. The story is told of young Victoria in England when she was just 10 years old. She actually had no idea that she was in line to be the queen of England one day. And so young Victoria, 10-year-old girl, was studying the royal lineage in school like all 10-year-old English girls did. And as she's studying the royal lineage, all of a sudden, she found herself. And she realized that she was in line for the throne. And for the very first time, when Victoria realized that she was a queen in waiting, she responded by simply saying, then I will be good. And that's my desire for you. That over the next few weeks, as we just talk about who you are, that you are not your own, but that you belong to God, that you're a child of the king, that you've been bought by the blood of Jesus at great price, that that would just inspire you as you learn who you are, that you belong to him, that it would just compel you to be good. And that you would see that there's a deep freedom and beauty here and that you would find comfort and clarity. We're gonna talk about how this impacts our marriage and our parenting and our finances and our schedules and what season of life we're in. But for today's purposes, there's one specific application that Paul makes here for the church in Corinth that we gotta to make together today. Now, um, here's what you need to know about this letter of 1 Corinthians that Paul is writing. Um, he's writing a letter to an ancient church in the city of Corinth. And this church is jacked up. 
They are a mess. Like if you read First and Second Corinthians, you're gonna see they got all kinds of stuff going on. I hear some people say, well, hey, we just gotta get back and we gotta be like the New Testament church. And I'm like, no, we don't, all right? I mean, if you read this, you're gonna see they're arguing about their favorite preachers, they're divided, they're suspicious, they're cynical. They literally have people in their church who are getting drunk on communion. Think about it, that's a lot of these little cups, right? <laughs> Hope you get the joke, all right? Um, True, but, and there's deep sexual dysfunction going on. They're in this church in Corinth. They've got a guy who's sleeping with his stepmom and he's bragging to the whole church about it. And that's the whole reason that Paul has to answer this question, should Christian men visit a prostitute? Because ancient Corinth was a cesspool. I got to go to the ruins of ancient Corinth last year. I took this picture, nice picture, right? I did a good job. And uh, these are the ruins of ancient Corinth. And up behind the city, on top of that big hill, there was an ancient temple where every day a thousand temple prostitutes would work. And so Corinth was like the Vegas of the ancient world. It's a big travel center. People come in. They have a good time with the temple prostitutes. And what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And it's into that world that Paul writes these words. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Read it with me. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's what I want to remind you of today. Honor God with your body. You belong to him, so honor God with your body. God cares about your body. You might remember that Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 12, the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your with your strength, like with, with, with your body. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Notice Paul doesn't just say, offer your minds, give Jesus your hearts. He says, offer your bodies. Paul would say later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he would say, hey, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, and that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. God cares about what you do with your body. Now we're gonna zoom out here for just a second. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter six. And we're gonna take this whole big chunk of text at a whack. You don't have to worry. I'm not gonna spend very much time even explaining this when we're done. I just want you to hear this and to read this as God's word to you today. That because you belong to him, he wants you to honor him with your body. Let's read this chunk of text together here in 1 Corinthians chapter six. Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. 
Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your body. Listen, I'm not naive. I know that in regards to sexuality, there is not an unscarred person in the room here today. And I want you to know, our prayer team's gonna be up here toward the end of the service with their green lanyards on around the edges of the room. Man, if you got some darkness that you need to bring into the light, do it. We are ready for you. Um, or you can you know, email one of us ministers. We'd love to get together, love to walk with you, text a friend, do whatever it takes. Honor God with your body. I also know that um, none of us are perfectly in love with our bodies, right? I doubt there's anybody in the room today who looks in the mirror every single time and says, yup, nailed it. <laughs> right? Some of us do every now and then. But, uh, you know, there's so, much, there's so much insecurity. There's pain about things we've done, things that have been done to us. There's literal physical pain. There's... There's shame attached to our bodies. But I just want to leave you with a question today, if that's all right. Is your body bringing honor to God? Is your body bringing honor to God? I'm not saying that you have to be a fitness guru. I mean, look at me, right? Uh, I've heard it said before, I work out religiously. It means I work out about twice a year around the holidays. <laughs> fitness can be an idol too, but I am saying is what you're doing with your body, is how you're treating your body, how you're eating, how you're sleeping, is your, how you're using your body to, to serve, is the kinds of things you're doing with your body, how you're trusting God for the state of your body, even as your body might be failing you or declining you, is how you're not finding your identity in your body. Is your body bringing honor to God? Because ultimately, it's not your body, is it? You belong to God through creation. When you look in the mirror, that is his body that you're seeing. He made it. He formed it. Fearfully and wonderfully inside your mother's womb, he knit you together in his own image. And you're his through redemption. He bought your body. That's his body that he paid for with the body of his son hanging on the cross. And now he lives in your body. He chose your body to be his temple. And now you belong to him which is good news, it's freedom and it's beauty because that means that your origin and your meaning and your morality and your destiny are all secure in him, it's not on you, which is why our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to him. That when we were walking around in the cafeteria of life, lost and not sure where to go, God scooted over and he patted the bench and he said, yeah, come here, I got room for you. You're mine, you belong with me. Would you bring out the communion that you got when you walked in? We're gonna take some time. We're gonna prepare for this moment that we have every week where we receive together the body and the blood of Jesus. 
that God paid for our body with, with his body. And what we're, do, we're gonna do is, I'm just gonna have you hold this for a few minutes if that's all right. I'll talk for a minute and then these guys are gonna sing a song that they've written and I just want you to meditate on these words so that we would consecrate our bodies to God again and that we would just say again that we, we are his, we are yours because of what you've done for us. So just hold this for a few moments. Reflect on what Jesus has done for you in his death and his resurrection and then after the song, we'll receive communion together. Early on, shortly after Rebecca and I got married, um, she looked me in the eyes one time and she said, hey, just remember that what's yours is mine and what's mine is mine. <laughs> and she was kidding, I think, and uh, haven't figured out yet. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of how this gig works, that when we come to Jesus, all of a sudden what's ours is now his, that our bodies and everything that comes with it, all our shame, all our pain, all our feelings and our opinions, our regret and our rebellion. He took it all and he nailed it to the cross. And the beauty of belonging to God is that now what is his becomes ours. In this great exchange, he takes our death and he gives us life and all of a sudden that now in him, we have life and we have hope and we have peace and we have purpose and we have perfection. To that same messed up church in Corinth, Paul wrote another letter in which he said this, 2 Corinthians chapter five. This is his words to you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.